The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. This is episode number 42. Today is Monday, April the 10th, and we're a day later than we normally are releasing this episode, and that is because I was violently ill yesterday and wasn't able to record. Uh, But luckily, we're back on track today. I'm here with my co-host, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, uh, I'm assuming your weekend was better than mine, but how are you feeling today? Yeah, yeah, a lot better. I know you something didn't go down well when when you went out Saturday night, but I feel good. I got my spring break coming up. I'm in a good mood. Nice, nice. Spring break's always fun. Yeah, yeah, I am still uh, recovering from a spell of food poisoning from the weekend, which uh, is never fun, but well, something that was pretty fun... Uh, before I got sick was UFC 210, which was the rematch between Daniel Cormier and Anthony Rumble Johnson, which went down uh, pretty similarly to their first encounter, but not without a lot of drama with uh, Rumble retiring and some controversy with the weigh-ins and uh, towel gate and everything like that. Uh, overall, a decent card. So Jeff, I'm going to let you decide where do you want to start. Do you want to start with the the weigh-in controversy? Do you want to start with Rumble retiring, or do you want to start with the actual fight itself? Or should we just go in chronological order? Uh, yeah, let's do chronological because we got a lot of stuff to cover with this one fight. Yeah, th- there was so much going on. So at the at the weigh-ins, and usually there's not that much controversy with weigh-ins for for the bigger guys, for the heavyweights and the light heavyweights. Uh, because there's not much wiggle room. You're either a light heavyweight or you're a heavyweight. So Daniel Cormier came into the weigh-ins, and it's the early morning uh, weigh-ins, and he was a pound and a quarter over the weight limit. So he was 206.2 pounds. Um, For those who don't know, you're allowed to be one pound over the weight limit, and that's due to scale calibration. So if your scale is a little bit off from the Athletic Commission scale, they give you one pound of leeway. So he was a pound and a quarter over. So he jumps off the stage or off the scale, runs backstage, comes out two minutes later, and magically weighs 205 pounds. Uh, what was curious about this is that he was they were holding a towel up in front of him because he was naked. Uh, I guess he felt he couldn't have made the weight with shorts on. And he was pushing down on this towel, which a lot of people believe would alleviate some pressure on the scale, and that's what helped him reach the 205-pound limit. Uh, pretty much would be impossible for him to lose almost a pound and a half in two minutes unless he uh, you know, went back and, and cut off a few toes or something like that. So, I, I mean, it's pretty clear he was holding the towel down, whether it was intentional or not. Uh, that's what alleviated some pressure on the scale, and that's what helped him make the 205-pound limit. Jeff, what were your thoughts on this? Do you think the towel played a role 
in Cormier making the weight? And if so, do you think it was intentional? Bill, I don't think it was intentional, but I do think that it did play a role. I Honestly, I thought that the fight was going to be called off because uh, I was watching, and these are not the weigh-ins where all the fans are there. These are the ones before in the morning, like you said. Right. And the deadline for them is 11 a.m. So not only did uh, Daniel Cormier only have a few minutes to make weight, but at the time, I believe it was about 10.58 or 10.59 in the morning, and Rumble was nowhere to be seen. And it was crazy, dude. I was watching it. Ariel Hawani, I believe, was doing commentary. And, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, oh, my God, we might not have a main event tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, DC, I don't know if he meant to do that, if it was on purpose. But I think the towel played a role. I mean, at the end of the day, he went out and got the job done. But there was still a little bit of controversy in that weigh-in room. And also... When DC stepped on the scale the first time, he looked completely depleted of energy. He he looked like he did not have a good weight cut at all. Yeah, he, he basically came out and admitted that uh, he hasn't been disciplined in between fights. And, you know, at 38 years old, you can't, you can't really lose weight uh, like a college wrestler loses weight. So you can't really rely on that. Uh, it's disappointing to see from someone who was an Olympic caliber wrestler uh, to have problems making weight. I mean, he should have been exactly on the nose. Uh, that's what you come to expect from high-level wrestlers. Um, and I think they hold themselves to that standard as well. So uh, let's get into the actual fight itself. So Anthony Johnson uh, came out with a different strategy, which I think he needed to do since he gassed himself out in the first round in the first fight, um, you know, trying to blast Cormier uh, like he does to everybody else in the first round. And Cormier really showed his chin in that first fight. I think it was really tested like it had never been tested before. Uh, But the strategy he came out with was definitely not effective. He was trying to wrestle with Daniel Cormier and hold him up against the cage, which for a guy who's so muscular, and Anthony Johnson is a good wrestler in his own right, but uh, trying to wrestle against someone with the wrestling credentials of Daniel Cormier was not the best strategy, especially considering how quickly it tires you out. And his corner was even yelling at him to stop wrestling with him and told him in between rounds, don't wrestle, keep your distance and pick your shots, which uh, I think would have been the better strategy for Anthony Johnson to use his range and, and try to land some of those big power shots. But it also seemed like he wasn't in this fight mentally. And we come to find out At the end of the fight, that's because this was his last fight uh, as a professional MMA fighter, and he decided to retire. Uh, One of two retirements on the card. So what did you take away from this fight, Jeff? What were your thoughts on Anthony Johnson's game plan, and how did you think the fight went as a whole? I wasn't overly excited about Anthony Johnson's game plan. I didn't think wrestling DC was a good idea because... DC is is just so good as a grappler, man. I mean, everything that Johnson went for, I, you know, DC shut it down. I think Johnson landed one or two takedowns, but mm-hmm. DC popped right up and and started working. So it it was crazy how good DC's wrestling is. Yep. But you know, it's it's nothing that we didn't know already. So 
I think part of the reason that he uh, went for the wrestling against DC was in the first round early on, DC landed this really hard overhand right. And I think it rattled Johnson a little bit. I don't think he was expecting DC to hit him that hard. So I think that was when his brain was like, okay, I need to to try something besides striking. So I think that had something to do with it. But at the end of the day, like you said, you know, different game plan, same result for DC. He ended up winning the exact same way that he did the first time. And he did it in, in a round under. Instead of the third round, he finished him with a rear naked choke in the second. Right. And... You know, I, I don't know what to say about that. But anyway, and the end of the fight was really strange because the first thing that Rumble went for was uh, he was just looking for his coaches. His coaches had just left the octagon for some reason. Mm-hmm. And Rumble announced his retirement. He said he, he wants to do something besides fighting, uh, something that he's been thinking about for a long time. So my question to you, Bill, is... What do you think happened? Do you think his coaches were not aware of the situation? Do you think that they were just annoyed that Rumble changed game plans and didn't heed their advice? But what do you think happened there? Uh, it's hard to say. There, there's a lot of variables at play there because Anthony Johnson was part of the Black Zillions camp that had recently disintegrated, and their striking coach, Henry Hooft, um, who is a world-class striker, K1 champion, I believe, uh, was cornering Anthony Johnson, and he's kind of an odd guy, and he's very easily angered, it seems. So he was he was uh, the head coach for Anthony Johnson, and he was the one who was most vocal about Anthony Johnson not wrestling with DC because uh, obviously he knows what a great striker Anthony Johnson is and how much power he has. So. It's hard to say if those are his if those coaches were consistent throughout his entire fight camp or what type of camp he even had because the Black Zillions camp disintegrated and then he was training partly with uh, Henry Hoof for striking and then partly somewhere else for other things. So it doesn't seem like he had a really complete cohesive camp and his coaches disappearing at the end of the fight probably speaks to that fact um, because it, it shows that they're not a very tight-knit group. So it kind of makes you wonder what Anthony Johnson could have accomplished in his career if he had a consistent camp and he had consistent training partners and, and coaches if he had been training with uh, you know, a Jackson Wink camp or, or a TriStar camp or something like that. Um, but those are my thoughts. Uh, any other takeaways from any of that? Mm, I mean, all I have to say is it's a shame that Johnson's stepping away from the octagon. He's such a fun fighter to watch. Oh, he, I feel like he has so much durability because of his knockout power. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's doing what's best for him and his family. So, got to respect the guy. Thank you to Rumble Johnson for the amazing performances for the awesome knockouts i was there and i know you were there too uh when he knocked out bader in newark i mean you can't write this stuff it was awesome yeah a really interesting story of a career you know starting out uh fighting at 170 pounds and then being a knockout artist at 205 pounds there's really nobody who's who's comparable in that regard to anthony johnson and like you said one of the most exciting 
fighters to watch. But um, this is the kind of sport where if a guy's head is not in it, then you have to respect his decision to walk away. And, you know, maybe we'll see him again down the line. Maybe he'll change his mind after uh, whatever new job he has. Uh, There's some speculation he's going to be working with the L.A. Rams football team in some capacity. Uh, His Twitter um, header photo and uh, his Twitter bio have been updated to reflect some sort of association with the L.A. Rams. Um, Some people speculated he was going to play professional football, which he definitely has the physique for. But, um, you know, if he said he's retiring from MMA because he's tired of getting hit, then uh, obviously I I don't think he's going to go and play professional football. We're going to take just as much, if not more, uh, damage to your body. So uh, Anthony Johnson will definitely be missed in the UFC. And, um, you know, we we look forward to uh, seeing how this division is kind of going to shape up. So let's get to that. So Cormier, at the end of this fight, immediately calls out Jimmy Manoa uh, when John Jones is sitting cage side as well. Uh, so what what are your thoughts on Cormier kind of talking trash to Manoa and basically ignoring the fact that John Jones was sitting in the front row? I love it, man. I feel like DC is embracing the heel character. You know, he's not very well liked. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the ball and run with it. He's talking trash to Jimmy to Jimmy Manuel saying, you know, I uh, you don't want this. He's saying he's yelling at the fans about how they may not like him, but he's making money and winning straps. I love it. So, yeah, um, yeah he, he totally ignored the fact that John Jones was there. And when Joe Rogan was asking him, he t- <laughs> DC turned around and it was just like, who, who, yelling into the <laughs> mic. So it was great to see, you know. But I think in the back of his mind, John Jones is always going to be there. It's his only loss. I think he understands that, while he's starting to solidify his reign as light heavyweight champion, and he's probably been one of the more consistent champions besides John Jones, um, he has to understand that at some point he's going to have to prove it. You know, he's going to have to cement his legacy, and John Jones is going to be the concrete, you know? Yep. So, now back to Jimmy Manuel, I, I would love to see that fight. However, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, especially if John Jones comes back in July-ish. So, you know, there that leaves a very small window of opportunity. So I really don't think the UFC is going to put that on. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy Manuel, like we've said before, man, he's a contender. He's got power in both hands. He's fun to watch. You know, I wasn't crazy about him at first, but after his last fight, man, you can't, you can't rule Jimmy Manuel out. You cannot leave him out of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, the The problem with Jimmy Manoa is is when he has faced top five competition, he hasn't been able to hang with them. Uh, he was knocked out by Gustafson. He was knocked out by Anthony Johnson. Um, so th- that that kind of raises the question of you know can he handle the pressure of a top five fight or a championship fight? The problem with the John Jones fight is he won't be cleared for the July pay per view because I think it's the day after. He's he's cleared, so there won't be enough time to get him registered with a license and all the all the red tape he has to go through. 
So they definitely won't be able to turn that around. The other problem is that Dana White said he won't put John Jones as a headliner his first fight back. I guess kind of as a punishment for, you know, all his suspensions and everything like that. So why would DC take a fight against John Jones if he's not going to be the headliner? DC even said the only person that he would take a co-headlining spot against uh, two would be Conor McGregor. And we know that Conor McGregor is not going to be fighting in the UFC in the immediate future. Um, but who knows? Uh, we'll see how this thing how this thing shapes up. Uh, I feel like DC would run through Jimmy Manoa, and I think DC knows that as well. Uh, I don't think Manoa could handle DC's grappling, and... We know DC can take a punch from Anthony Johnson, so if he can take a punch from Anthony Johnson, he could definitely take one from Jimmy Manoa. But uh, it, it would be an interesting fight. So we were talking about how the main event almost got canceled because of the weigh-in debacle, and it's a good thing that it didn't because then the main event probably would have been the very strange fight between Gegard Mousasi and the former middleweight champion Chris Weidman. So this fight was declared a TKO in the second round because Weidman was hit with two knees that the referee thought were illegal knees, meaning Musasi need a downed opponent in the face. Uh, under the new rules, you have to have both hands on the mat uh, in order to be considered a downed opponent. It used to be if you had one hand on the mat, you couldn't be kneed in the face. So the referee stops the fight. And then someone from the athletic commission tells the referee those weren't illegal knees. So the doctors come in to look at Chris Wyman and they declare that he's not able to continue. And the fight is declared a TKO uh, victory for Gegard Mousasi. Uh, at first, I thought that this was kind of a fucked up decision, but... Um, after getting some more information about the state of Chris Weidman, it definitely seems like he wasn't able to continue, but I still think that it wasn't handled properly. So what were your thoughts on this fight up to the uh, alleged illegal knees, Jeff? And then what were your thoughts on the decision to rule this a TKO? Well, for one, I thought Gegard Mousasi looked phenomenal. He had an answer for... All of Chris Weidman's grappling, he ha he hit some really good sprawls and you know stuffed a couple of takedowns, and in the stand up, it was obvious that Gegard Mousasi was better. Mm -hmm. And in the second round, those knees, it was at first I was a little annoyed, but you have to understand that Dan Mergliata was not at the best angle, and you know he's only human, uh, mm -hmm. mistakes happen, so you know I understand that. You know, accidents happen. You know, people make mistakes. So I wasn't too um, annoyed with it, especially because after those knees and after uh, Dan Mergliata asked for the fight to for the timeout, Chris Weidman looked really rattled. Like, he just sat right down, and he looked like he didn't really know where he was. So I think it was the right call by the doctors. And honestly, if... If Dan Rigliotta made a mistake, I think they should have just let the fight continue. You yeah. know, Chris Weidman had a second to rest and stuff. They should have just let the fight continue. 
but the doctors called it what I think was a good stoppage because those were hard knees. And, you know, in the replay, you know, in the replay, Gegard Mousasi pulled Chris Weidman up so his hands came off the ground, but they barely came off. I mean, they were still like a half inch off the ground. So, you know, I, at first I thought that they were illegal knees too, especially the second one. But after the replay and it, the slowed down replay, I could see clearly that, you know, there were it was a legal knee. So, you know, mistakes happen. I thought it was a good call to, that the doc for, to have. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. I think it was a good call to have the doctor stop the fight. But, you know, I, I was disappointed because I wanted to see the fight go on. I wanted to see who was going to win. But if I had to guess, I think Musasi in two more shots, he would have won that fight easy. Yeah, uh, the, the only problem is there's there's no real way to know for sure. I thought it was a good call by Mergliata because the knees, uh, it was too close to call. I mean, his his fingers were barely off the mat uh, when he got kneed. So, it, you know, from the right angle, it probably looked like both his hands were down. So I thought it was an okay call. What I have a problem with is why is the commission getting involved when the referee calls a timeout for an illegal blow? Uh, this is not something that, that ever really happens. There's no instant replay rule in New York. Nobody should be talking to the referee and telling him anything uh, once he makes that call. Weidman should have the five minutes to recover. And like you said, if it if it was a legal knee, then they, they should have allowed him to continue. But... Um, and, and I thought so too until I heard uh, what Weidman was saying to the doctors as they asked him what month it was and he told them it was February. Um, and even at the post-fight press conference, he still seemed really dazed and really out of it. And um, I don't think uh, he was clearly concussed. But who knows what would have happened if, if Mergliata didn't stop it. Maybe he would have went down. Maybe he would have uh, submitted Musasi off his back just based on muscle memory you know who knows he's he's a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu um but yeah it was definitely a disappointing ending you have to know that musashi doesn't want to win that way and it's a tough situation for weidman because now he's got three uh knockout losses in a row uh for a guy who was a former champion this has to be uh you know really damaging to his ego and to his motivation um and like we were saying on last week's episode, if you're having any psychological problems, the last person you want to get in there with is Gegard Mousasi, who is just cold as ice. Um, by all rights, Mousasi should be in line for a title shot after doing what he did to former champion. And uh, yeah, he looked great. I thought Wyman won the first round, but I thought uh, Mousasi did look really good. I, I was really impressed with his butterfly guard where he's able to just kind of flick Weidman off of him because Weidman's really top-heavy, and he's been able to hold down uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts in the past inside the cage. So I, I'm i not incredibly interested in seeing a rematch here. I think uh, Weidman maybe needs to take a step down in competition a little bit or possibly think about moving up to 205. Um and Musasi should definitely be in the mix for a title shot, but I still think he's one or two fights away from actually getting it just because of the scope of the division right now with George St. Pierre getting the shot at Bisping and then Yoel Romero being next in line. Unless Musasi does something crazy like call out 
Yoel Romero. That would kind of help him jump in line a little bit. Um, so the fight before that, uh, Cynthia Calvillo is showing off some awesome Brazilian jiu-jitsu against Pearl Gonzalez. There was some drama surrounding this fight. Uh, there was a fake rumor that had gotten out uh, the day before or the day of the fight that Pearl Gonzalez wasn't going to be allowed to fight by the New York Athletic Commission uh, because she has breast implants. Uh, so a lot of MMA news outlets picked this up and they were presenting it as fact that the New York State Athletic Commission had denied Pearl Gonzalez the ability to fight because she has fake tits. Uh, luckily, this fight did go on and Cynthia Calvillo showed some dominant Brazilian jiu-jitsu and ended the fight with a rear naked choke in the third round. Uh, Jeff, what what are your thoughts about the fake news of the fake boobs and what were your thoughts on the fight? Well, for the fake news part, I was it, it, it sounded really strange. I was like, what the, you know, uh, it was just weird. That the new, it, you know, in a in an interview I saw on YouTube, um, Pearl Gonzalez said that the New York State Athletic Commission came up to her and said that they didn't approve of breast implants. Which, I mean, I guess I assume it was a rumor because the fight still went on. But whatever, let's right. get to the fight. We're not here to talk about boobs. So, <laughs> not today. You know. Right. <laughs> but anyway, um, a really good fight. Pro Gonzalez was looking pretty solid. She landed a couple of nice takedowns, uh, but her corner told her that she should stick to striking more. But Cynthia Calvillo, man, I, I remember her last fight. She won by a rear naked choke in the second round, but she showed something else uh, this past weekend. She showed some nice footwork, and she showed some pretty solid stand-up. She wasn't landing knockout blows, but... She was landing a lot of shots on Pro Gonzalez, and Pro Gonzalez just kind of covered up a lot. She covered her face a lot, and you know, Cynthia Calvillo showed a lot of energy, a lot of cardio. And at the end, you know, she used that slick jujitsu. Man, she she's a really solid jujitsu fighter, and I love watching her. This is only the second fight I've ever seen from her. She made her UFC debut uh, about two months ago in February, I want to say. And she won the same way with a rear naked choke. And, you know, she's so flexible and, and coordinated. And she moves all of her limbs at the same time. It's awesome to watch, really. So yeah. I'm excited to see where Cynthia Calvio goes. Uh, you know, give her two or three more fights, maybe against some harder competition in the strawweight division. And I'd love to see how she does against some of the top five girls or some of the top ten uh, strawweights in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, her... Her UFC debut was actually on the Woodley Thompson card. So that was just last month in March. Uh, she only turned pro in August. So she's had five pro fights in eight months, which is ridiculous. That's like, that's faster than a Cowboy Cerrone pace right there. Um, so she said that she she definitely wants a little bit of time off. I mean, five fights in eight months is, is pretty absurd. But... Uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing her compete again and uh, seeing her in there against some higher level competition. It's not an incredibly stacked division, so when someone comes out like that who's 5-0 and with four finishes, you would expect them to move up in the rankings pretty quickly. Um, the fight just before that was Tiago Alves and Patrick Cote, and this fight was a lot better than I expected. It was very... 
back and forth. Um, I thought Cote probably won the second round, and uh, Thiago Alves won the first and the third. But um, really, really good battle. And you don't, you never know what to expect from Thiago Alves. Uh, he he went back up to welterweight after missing weight, trying to fight at lightweight in his last fight um, against Jim Miller and then losing the fight. So he, now he's back at welterweight where he definitely belongs. There's no way he can make lightweight. And Patrick Cote, as we know, this is, uh, I think, his third fight at welterweight. He dropped down from 185. And uh, so really good fight. And then at the end of the fight, Cote lays his gloves down in the center of the octagon and announces his retirement. I guess if you can't beat Tiago Alves, a hot and cold Tiago Alves, who's coming up in weight from lightweight, then uh, it's time to throw in the towel at 37 years of age. But uh, a great career for Patrick Cote. He's had some some awesome fights over the years. I think a 15-year career. So what were your thoughts on this fight, and what were your thoughts on Cote's retirement, Jeff? I thought the fight was really fun to watch. Uh, I, I think we saw a, a more technical Thiago Alves. He was doing a good job of picking shots and counterpunching. And also his ground game looked pretty solid as well against Patrick Cote. He had him on his he had Cote on his back quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Cote, man, you know, I didn't really know too much about him. I, I knew he'd been in the UFC for a long time. I just had never really watched any of his fights. But he's done a lot for the sport. And, you know, I, he's 37, man. He's been fighting for 15 years. I I don't blame him for hanging up the gloves, you know? Yeah, so it was a night of retirements. And um, also not a great night for Will Brooks, who got choked out in the first round of his fight against Charles Oliveira. So Will Brooks, another example of guys who have come over from Bellator and have not been having the best of luck. If he was a champion over in Bellator, and he's now dropped uh, two fights in a row, so uh, not looking so good for him. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Well, I had actually posted this on Twitter. I post uh, which is at Animal underscore Wilson for those of you listening, and you know I said that on Twitter that I thought Will Bricks would. Will Brooks, I'm sorry, would have a hard time with Oliveira's ground game, man. And boy, did he ever. You know, Olivero did this crazy takedown and back take at the same time. It was nuts. And, you know, he, he got him in a rear naked choke in the first round. And I'll be honest with you, Bill, I haven't been too impressed with Will Brooks. Yeah. I mean, I know he did well at Bellator, but, you know, that's like being the tallest midget. You know, <laughs> it's, it, you're a... You're a small fish in a big pond or whatever. No, big fish in a small pond, sorry. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't been too impressed with him. We'll see what the UFC uh, has to say about this because, you know, we've discussed a few times. Once you start hitting three fights where you can't win, unless you you already uh, made a name for yourself, it's going to be hard to make a case for you when it comes time to to downsize. Yeah, so maybe... Maybe put him in there against Marcin Held, and uh, you know, loser goes back to Bellator, and <laughs> and we'll just uh, we'll just play it that way. So uh, a couple other things to touch on. I'll throw I'll throw three fights at you, and you tell me which one stood out to you. So Miles Jury with a TKO victory uh, in the first round. 
Kamaro Usman uh, defeated Sean Strickland by unanimous decision, and Patrick Cummings uh, beat uh, Jan Blakovich. So out of those three, uh, did you see all of them, and which one stood out to you, Jeff? I didn't watch any of them. I didn't have a chance to watch the prelim fights. But Patrick Cummings, high-level wrestler. We know he used to wrestle with DC. So, you know, he's a good fighter. He got trashed by DC when they fought in the UFC. But that was a couple of years back. And, you know, Patrick Cummings was still new to the UFC. So not the best way to be welcomed into the UFC, I think. But he's a solid wrestler, good grappler. So I'm not surprised that he won. Uh, Miles Jury is a beast. You know, mm-hmm. he's fun to watch. I'm actually a little annoyed that I didn't get to see his fight. But I'm not super surprised that he won. You know, he's a good fighter. I think his last loss in recent memory was to Donald Cerrone. I might be mistaken on that. Don't quote me. But, you know, this is a tough dude. Well, he has a loss uh, to the uh, other Charles, fight. Charles Oliveira in his last fight. And then before that, he lost to Cerrone. But uh, those are his only two losses. So, um, you know, definitely nothing to be ashamed of there. Yeah, yeah. Some tough losses against some tough dudes. Um, just ask Will Brooks about Charles Oliveira. <laughs> and, yeah, the the other fight that you mentioned, I didn't watch. And I don't know too much about the fighters in that one. Yeah, so Kamara Usman was uh, the winner of, in, in my opinion, the worst season of Ultimate Fighter, which was the, the battle of the team. So it was American Top Team versus the Black Zillions. And uh, just a terrible season. And uh, the guy is a, a really good wrestler and never really puts on exciting fights, but gets the job done. And that's what he did against Sean Strickland. Almost knocked him out in a couple of times. But uh, Sean Strickland, really tough dude uh, with a really good chin. So uh, he was able to weather the storm. But I would expect to see Kamaru Usman uh, fighting somebody in the top 10 in his next fight. So, uh, yeah. Uh, another fight card coming up this weekend. It's uh, UFC on Fox 24 from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, headlined by Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson against Wilson Hayes. Uh, what are your thoughts on this main event, Jeff, and how do you see it playing out? Wilson Hayes is a really high-level jiu-jitsu fighter. So this is going to be interesting. You know, we've seen Demetrius Johnson fight wrestlers. We've seen him fight strikers. But I don't know how he's going to do against a high-level black belt. Maybe Johnson won't rely so much on his grappling. But his striking is still has improved by leaps and bounds. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But I wouldn't be surprised if Demetrius Johnson won this one. Uh, like we've said before on the show, he's cleaned out the division. There's really nobody left to fight him. So, you know, we'll we'll see how this one goes. But I really don't see Demetrius Johnson having a crazy amount of trouble if he keeps it standing. And overall, Bill, I'm really excited for this card. You know, it's it's pretty stacked. You know, uh, the, the main event, I think, is more of a straightforward... Um, decision. I feel like Demetrius Johnson is going to get it. But on the card, we also have Rose Namajunas, who we haven't seen in a while, versus Michelle Waterson, who 
is coming off of a huge win over Paige Van Zant, which uh, we did the crawl, the brawl crawl on, which was episode. <laughs> 35 i want to say seems like a okay. while ago yeah both of those fighters coming off of uh or have wins over Paige van zandt so um just to touch back on the main event real quick i think if demetrius johnson has shown any weakness it could be in the grappling department we saw in his last fight uh tim elliott gave him fits on the ground um so if wilson hayes is able to get the fight to the ground um y- you know he may be able to give demetrius johnson some problems i i don't see this fight going the distance actually i i feel like uh wilson hayes is a really big flyweight and if he's not able to submit mighty mouse in the first three rounds or so then he might gas out and get tko'd um and if he is able to win the fight it, it will be with a submission uh early on you know unless he's he's able to out grapple him for three rounds and then just coast through the last two rounds but i don't see uh mighty mouse allowing that to happen if you gas out on him he's just gonna turn up the gas on you and um and power through it so yeah i really like the michelle watterson and rose namiunas fight i think i think this could definitely be a title eliminator for uh who's gonna get the next shot at at uh Ioana. and it it definitely makes for a really interesting fight uh rose is not the most experienced fighter she's only had eight fights she's coming off a split decision loss to carolina kovokovich who we know is tough as nails she had a she definitely has given Joanna and jacek the most problems out of anybody who's fought her um and uh you know michelle waterson definitely coming off an impressive performance she is definitely one of the most experienced fighters in the division, so that's really exciting. And then we have uh, Jacare Souza taking a fight against Robert Whitaker, a fight that he definitely doesn't need to take because uh, Whitaker is ranked a little below him, and and Jacare is right up there in that title picture. But uh, like we said, this middleweight division is kind of bottlenecked right now, especially with George St. Pierre coming out of nowhere and getting a title shot, and Yoel Romero waiting in the wings. So uh, you have to respect guys like Jacare and Gegard Mousasi, who, you know, in any other division, they'd be the number one contender, but everything is just so backed up right now. But they continue to stay active. They're not sitting around and waiting for a title shot to be handed to them. So Robert Whitaker, really crisp uh, counter striker uh, with a lot of power, knocked out Derek Brunson in his last fight. And uh, Jacare, obviously one of the most lethal jiu-jitsu practitioners in the sport. So what are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Well, I'll be honest with you. If I were John Whitaker, I mean uh, Robert Whitaker, I would be super nervous to fight Jacare. I mean, yeah, Whitaker is probably better standing up. There's no doubt about that. He's a good striker. I believe he won the season of the Ultimate Fighter that he was on. I think it was Ultimate Fighter Nations, I want to say. Uh-huh. Uh, I forget. It was a while ago. But <clears throat> Jakare is absolutely lethal on the ground, man. I mean, it, he's probably got the best jiu-jitsu in, you know, in the UFC along with Demian Maya. He's mm-hmm. probably the only person I could compare him to. But, dude, I mean... 
what do you do against Shakari? I mean, his if if you can't keep it, if he cannot, if Whitaker cannot keep this fight standing, he's in a world of trouble because Jakari's jujitsu is good. His ground and pound is really solid. I mean, Whitaker. I hope he's been practicing his wrestling defense at least because uh, I was watching uh, UFC's Road to the Octagon, I believe, yesterday, and Whitaker is he he's relying solely on his stand up. But, you know, Jakari can get you on the ground. So I hope he's been practicing takedown defense at least to go with that striking. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely agree with you that uh, he's he's in a class with Damian Maia as far as the best jiu-jitsu. As far as the most aggressive jiu-jitsu, I'd have to say he's by far number one. Because Damian Maia's style is to kind of smother you and kind of melt over you like butter on toast. Uh, Jacare's style jiu-jitsu is to grab any limb he can and try and rip it off of your body. Uh, we saw that in his last fight against Tim Bosch where it, he had probably the most insanely aggressive Kimura I'd ever seen uh, executed. And, you know, he's not in there to play around. He's in there to to take limbs away from people. Uh, so definitely the most aggressive jiu-jitsu in the game. Uh, Jeremy Stevens coming off his uh, loss to Frankie Edgar, um, facing the undefeated Renato Carnero, uh, who is 10-0. and 0. Uh, I don't know much about this guy, but he's a submission guy, and he's going against Jeremy Stevens, which is a tall order. I mean, he's got crazy knockout power, and he has excellent takedown defense. So uh, it's an interesting fight. You know, you got to very clear striker versus grappler matchup there and then you have uh big country roy nelson coming back against alexander volkov so any thoughts on either of those two fights listen i love travis stevens and big jeremy country stevens. i mean i mean jeremy stevens sorry did i say travis stevens yeah oh sorry uh travis stevens is a judo black belt who took silver at the olympics last year yes. um i'm saying Anyway, um, Jeremy Stevens and Roy Nelson are huge. They got so much knockout power. They're always fun to watch. You always got to watch out for the big blows with these guys. So I'm excited. I feel like this card could be its own pay-per-view. Maybe it wouldn't be headlined by Demetrius Johnson, but he would definitely be in the co-main event at least. So I'm excited. Top to bottom, this card looks really good. You don't have to pay anything for it. So I would say this is one not to miss. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Roy Nelson and uh, Volkov fight is going to be interesting. Uh, Volkov is a big heavyweight; he's six foot seven, and Roy Nelson is one of these guys who's like uh, seems to be consistently around, but he's three and six in his last nine fights. But uh, you know, those fights have all been exciting, which is why they probably keep him around. But yeah, definitely an awesome card. Um, I'm looking for a sleeper fight on here. I I can't really pick one. Oh, you know what? Tim Elliott and Lewis Smoka. That should be a, a really cool fight. Um, we mentioned earlier, Tim Tim Elliott uh, was the last person to fight Mighty Mouse and really gave him a hard time uh, with his grappling. So uh, him against Lewis Smoka should be a really interesting fight. All right, let's get into the fun stuff, Jeff, because I know you were sipping on some interesting things this weekend. I had, uh, during the UFC 210 fight, I was drinking a Roll Cage Red Ale 
by Motorworks Brewery. They're out of Bradenton, Florida. And I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of craft beer down here in Florida uh, since moving here. But I'm really into red ales lately. I don't know if it's a if it's a spring thing or whatever the case. So uh, red ales are red, like the name suggests, but um, the flavor is usually on the maltier side. Uh, kind of a toasty flavor. And they're usually not so hop heavy, but some of them can be pretty hoppy. Like the Barley Mo Huntsman that I've talked about on the show before. That one is a, a red ale that's malty and hoppy. But um, this one from uh, from Motorworks, the Roll Cage Red, was really tasty. Is slightly sweet, uh, which was good for me because I don't like too sweet. Um, so it just had a little bit of sweetness to it. And it was a really nice beer, really drinkable, really light. And uh, I feel like they hit a good balance with the malts and the hops. So I really enjoyed that one. It had a, a hint, of, hint of fruit to it. So uh, what were you sipping on this weekend, Jeff? So, Bill, I threw it back to one of the very first uh, beers that we talked about on the show, which is River Horse, who are, is out of, uh, I, might, I know I'm going to mispronounce this, I think it's Ewing or Ewing, New Jersey, uh-huh. but they're, they're a more local brewery. And I went with the River Horse Raspberry this weekend, which I'll be honest with you, Bill, I was not crazy about. I don't think it was their best work, just because um, it was a Belgian ale, which, you know, was nice. Mm. But the the raspberry at the end, it really, I don't feel like it went well with the rest of the beer. So it, it felt a little uh, weird. It felt like they were trying to get too many flavors into one thing. So the raspberry was a little bit... Like, it didn't balance well with the rest of the beer. So I wasn't crazy about this one. I don't hate River Horse. I actually like River Horse. But I think for next time, I'll probably go with a different option. Yeah, the raspberry seems a little bit weird for a Belgium. I would think a raspberry flavor would go better with, like, a porter. You know, raspberry is kind of a, a, fl- a flavor that goes better with, like, a dark chocolate kind of palate. But, you know, can't blame them for trying. So maybe they'll work out some different uh, flavor combinations. All right. Anything else you want to get off your chest here today, Jeff? Uh, well, I'm still a fan of River Horse. And, Bill, I'm glad that you're doing better. I know yesterday was, was a very exhausting day for you. With uh, I don't know if it was something that you ate that got away from you, but I'm glad you're doing better, Bill. Yeah, yeah. A little, little spell of food poisoning, I think. I'm, I'm glad to be over it, too. So, uh and I'm glad you were able to join me a day later for this episode. Uh, so if you're following along on social media, we unveiled a new hashtag this weekend, and it's hashtag MMA Drink Team. So if you want to let us know what you're sipping on during the fights, uh, we'll always be using it uh, during every fight card to let you know what we're drinking, and obviously we want to know what you guys are thinking and drinking. So reach out to us at animal underscore Wilson is how you get a hold of Jeff on Twitter. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can go to MMAontherocks.com. So we hope to see a lot of you joining in with the hashtag and let us know what you're drinking during the fights. And that's all we got for this week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.